0: Why don't we turn to Luke, chapter twenty-three and verses thirty-two to forty. Luke, chapter twenty-three. And verses thirty-two, to forty-nine. Luke twenty-three and verse thirty-two. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. People stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminals rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land Until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely, This was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered witnessed this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Let's pray, shall we? God, this morning we gather here on Good Friday and we just want to say thank you. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you, God, for coming to this earth. Thank you, God, for dying for us, for taking upon yourself our sin for suffering so that you know what we face when we suffer and thank you for paying in full the price that we deserved because you have died and conquered death we now will never die and we just want to say thank you God thank you this morning God as we gather together, we pray that you would again help us to be remember your death and your resurrection and that we would leave today being amazed at your wonderful love for us. God, as we now come to give, we want to thank you that the message of Easter is one that's worth telling to everybody. And as we give the money that we give, God, we pray that you would help to use this to help so many people across this great land come to know who you are. Oh, God, use our giving today to help your message go out strongly and firmly so that hearts are changed, eternities are changed forever. So as we give now, God, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give
1: amazing love. There's nothing greater in the world than love. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 winds up his beautiful treatise on love and he says and now these three things remain, faith, hope and love but the greatest of these is love. A husband once said to his wife, honey I love you so much I would die for you. His wife sometime later said to him, darling, I know you said that you love me so much that you would die for me, but you haven't proven it yet. (laughs) But seriously, today we come to honour love, to marvel at love and to worship love. Now, from 1994 to 2001, I worked in a palliative care unit at the Mercy Hospital and I can remember being out socially and often when you were asked, you know, it came round to, what do you do? And I would say I worked in palliative care and that was the end of the conversation. It was a real party stopper. Uh, But it was an irony because something that seemed so potentially lifeless was in fact full of life and hope and held amazing examples of sacrifice and love. I remember Betty who cared for her husband who had cancer and she nursed him so beautifully for three years before he died. He developed Alzheimer's 10 years earlier and when we talked about how hard it was going to be for her after his death, she said, I lost him 10 years ago. But still she continued to care for the person she no longer knew. It was amazing love. I remember Richard, who was only married for 12 months, a man in his early 40s, and he'd waited a long time to be married. His wife developed cancer, and within nine months, she was dead. Richard was one of the most attentive, compassionate carers I had ever seen. Amazing love. I often wondered myself, would I sacrifice my career, my time, to withdraw completely, In isolation to care for my loved one day in, day out, out, night in, night out with limited support. This is amazing love. Henri Nguyen was a famous Catholic priest who died in 1986, and yet he remains a prophet um, for those that uh, want to experience God but find it in sacrifice. He was incredibly gifted intellectually and taught at Notre Dame, at Yale and Harvard Theological Universities. He was then called to a a program called Daybreak Ministries in France and Canada, where he spent his days physically caring for intellectually challenged young people. In the wiping of faces, toileting and feeding day in, day out, he discovered the true meaning of love. He says, we always have a choice to live the moment as a cause of resentment or as a cause for love. And then in his most famous book of all, The Wounded Healer, and I encourage you to get that, he says, God's love is often most evident in those who are broken and frail. I think there can be no more amazing example of love than Ronald and Joy, an elderly couple who died two weeks apart from each other. They'd been married for 62 years and both had cancer. They cared for each other and were so passionately in love. But do you know what? If you think their love is the most amazing love, or if you ever thought you had experienced the most amazing love there is to experience, I'm going to tell you something here today. You haven't. You've never experienced the most amazing love there is to experience until you have experienced the love of the God that hung on the cross at Calvary. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Above all, God is love. Today we come to worship our crucified Lord. Do you know that in the Bible it's recorded that at that scene there there was only one disciple that was actually still present? at the time of Jesus' death. It was John, the disciple that Jesus loved. And John, apart from uh, Jesus' mother and others, must have looked upon that cross and must have pondered the revelation and the significance of it. And many, many years later, John wrote a book, One John, It's in the Bible. And John summarised the incredible significance of this event, plus the years later, the years of his teaching, the years of um, him walking the earth as a prophet. He summarised all that he could understand about God by putting it into a phrase, three little words he penned. In 1 John 1, 4, 1 John 4:9, it says, "God is love." That was the summation of his life spent with Jesus Christ. God is love. Can we really believe that statement? That statement says two things. First of all, it tells us that there is a God. And you know, down through the centuries, man has believed that there is a God. People testify over the the centuries that they believe in God. When we look at a sunset, when we look at the birth of a baby, it is indisputable that there is a creator. That's not the hard thing to understand. But the second, can we truly understand that God's character is love? Is that truly the essence of his character? Well, 1 John 4, 9 says something even more profound. It says, in this was manifested the love of God towards us because God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might love through him. So not only is God love, but God demonstrated his love and manifested his love through his son, Jesus Christ. Divine love could only be manifested to man. It couldn't be imposed on them. Men were free to respond, free to reject. The creator was sacrificed for the creation. This is amazing love. The cross itself was an instrument that God could use for reconciling our humanity back to him. In death, as in life, he could identify himself wholly with the heavenly Father's will. Jesus showed us the way of love. It shone in the day-to-day of his life, in his tireless ministry of service, as we'd seen in the video, in his healing, but it shone most brightly in his death. The love that speaks from the cross is an unchanging amazing love and you can't come to experience this solemn and deeply significant day to day with only your head you can't bury your emotions you can't do that when you come to Calvary you can't go to the cross with just your head and not your heart calvary is not a mental trip it's not an intellectual exercise it's a spectacle of love. And just like the love that was shown to me through the sacrifice of so many carers that went unnoticed in the palliative care unit, they cared not with objectivity and disengagement but with passion and adoration for their loved ones. God demonstrates his love for us in this that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Don't walk away from the cross dry-eyed and unstirred today. Don't allow yourself to descend Calvary, impartial or unchanged. Amazing love. The story of God's amazing love starts with the birth of Jesus. The Messiah who showed up wore a different kind of glory than the ones the Jews were looking for. He wore the glory of humility. God is great, the cry of the Muslims, is a truth which needed no supernatural teaching to men, writes Father Neville Figgis. That God is little, that is the truth which Jesus taught man. The God who roared, who could order armies and empires about like pawns on a chessboard. This God emerged in Palestine as a baby who could not speak or eat solid food or control his bladder, who depended on a teenager for shelter, food and love and came for one purpose, that through his selfless act of love would die for us. You know, it really is an amazing mystery that Jesus disguised himself as a carpenter and lived in a dusty Judean village. He determined to prove his love for his creation. His calloused hands touched wounds and his compassionate tongue touched hearts. He became one of us. That Jesus' life was marked by occupation, marginalisation, poverty, persecution. He was raised ultimately in a single-parent family. He had ordinariness and obedience. It was something to be marvelled at. And as I reflect upon Jesus' choice to come in human flesh, to become fully human, to be born in such a marginalised and human way, to grow up in such oppressive, poor and shameful circumstances and to restrain from using his powers, until his appointed time, this amazes me. G.K. Chesterton says, Alone of all creeds, Christianity has added courage to the virtues of the creator. The need for such courage began with Jesus' first night on earth and did not end until his last. Think about it. Have you ever witnessed such a desire to communicate love? That the God of the universe would come in human flesh in such an obscure, marginalised way. This brings hope to the carers in palliative care, to the people that throng around the cross, to you and I. There's a beautiful picture of the creation of man by Michelangelo. And I had the most most incredible time of my entire life when two, two and a half years ago, I fulfilled a lifelong ambition to actually be in Rome and to see the Pieta and to see the Sistine Chapel. And this beautiful painting here was the final painting that Michelangelo painted in this enormous panorama of the Genesis. This was the defining moment when God touched man. And like the acts in a play, the act of the incarnation, God becoming man in human flesh, as amazing and as beautiful as it was, was not the definitive act of God's love. It wasn't the curtain raiser. Like the master painter Michelangelo, God reserved his masterpiece until the end. All the earlier acts of love had been leading to this one. The angels hushed, the heavens paused to witness the finale. God unveils the curtains and the ultimate act of creative love is revealed. Hush, what will it be? The curtains are drawn. God on a cross. Love begets love. It's undeniable. God is amazing for his love. Today, if you take nothing away from this sacred day, please take this. God is love. His love is amazing. His ultimate love was demonstrated on the cross at Calvary and you must respond to this love. You must be changed. You cannot leave Good Friday without being changed because God is love. God wants us to love him and he wants us to love others. Do you know what, God, what this God says about love? He says, In Mark 12, 30 to 31, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So what is to be our response? We today have no choice but to respond to this amazing love. He that gave himself for you, is he your first love? Doesn't he deserve to be? How are you loving him? Do other more important issues get in the way of you putting God first? God's first response to you is to love you. It's that simple. He demonstrated this love on the cross. How are you loving others? By loving others, you fulfill what God expects of love to love him and to love others. Are you laying down your life for them? Are you laying down your pride, your needs, your wants? This is what it means to first love above all else. The love of the cross compels us. Today, if nothing else, I want you to leave here being changed by the revelation that God's love was at such a cost for you that he wants you to do something about your life. He wants you to love him. If you have never loved him, he wants you to love the people that you are hard to love in your life if you have never loved them as you should. He wants you to keep going. If you are caring for someone who's ill, keep going. He knows, he cares. Keep loving. Don't give up. He didn't. He gave more completely. He gave himself up. And Jesus demonstrates a love that forgives in our reading today. We saw that. We heard that. You know, forgiveness has been called the greatest force in the world. Nelson Mandela modelled forgiveness. In fact, the rebirth of South Africa was based on forgiveness. When Henry Louis Gates spoke of Mandela always being a free man, it was the man's freedom from any need or desire to pay back that shone through him. Nelson Mandela wiped the slate clean, acknowledging a new day not only for South Africa, but for people who would follow his example all over the world. If this man, who had spent 27 years in prison, could be so magnanimous with those who put him there, what about us? Ever since his release from prison, Mandela had given the whole world a demonstration of forgiveness. He has shown us that it takes more courage, more stamina, more humanity to forgive than to say, let my people go. And his attitude can be applied to each one of us. Think of the deepest hurt you have ever received at the hands of another person. Think of the cruelest insult. Think of the most vicious slander, the most embarrassing put-down. Now put that unforgivable moment which is burned into your memory up against being placed in prison for most of your adult life, simply for demanding your freedom and for the freedom of your people. Mandela had been able to forgive that injustice which victimised him. What does it take for you to forgive the injustices by which you were made victims? To forgive is to say to the person by whom you have been wronged, you have done me wrong. You have done something that is hurtful to me. And because of what you have done, my personal pride tells me I should turn my back on you. I will carry the memory of what you have done with me. I will not forget, but I refuse to let what you have done stand between us. I refuse to allow it to create a permanent barrier between us. I still want you in my life. This is real freedom. This is the amazing love of forgiveness that Jesus demonstrates at the cross. It says two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, There they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus had all kinds of friends. No teacher of comparable personality had walked among men. No religious leader had ever been so accessible. There were times when even his disciples felt that he was not selective enough. In the gospels we hear the undertones of their criticism. They considered that children took too much of his time. They marveled that he talked with the woman at Samaria. His enemies were outspoken, but despite this he resisted exclusiveness. He was interested in all human beings no matter what their social standing. During his life Jesus had won all kinds of men to follow him. Fishermen, farmers, tax gatherers, centurions, Officials uh, of religion like Nicodemus and worldly men like Zacchaeus. To all men, he was the perfect friend, for through his amazing love, he drew out the best that was in them. Michelangelo was the greatest sculptor that ever lived. From a, a mound or from a block of incredible marble, he created the most amazing sculptor that the world has ever seen, the Pieta. And Jesus saw all men, not misshapen as they were, but in terms of what they might become. Nothing was as real to him as their possibilities. And the most amazing thing is that right up until the end, Jesus modelled something to us, to us who are gathered around the cross to us that might feel that we are sinners, to us that might feel that we have things in our lives that, that can never be forgiven or that we have done something to someone else that that other person could never forgive us. To us that are gathered around the cross, Jesus makes a final statement, a criminal on his right, a criminal on his left. And one of them turns and says, Jesus, remember me when you go to paradise. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. But hang on a moment. Jesus wasn't only forgiving sinners in this story. Maybe that forgiveness is for everyone here. Maybe that forgiveness is for me. You know, I have found in my own practice that the greatest way to experience release and true freedom is to forgive. Yet you will never learn to forgive unless you receive his amazing forgiveness. His amazing forgiveness is a gift which says, if you come to me, I will forgive you for your ways, your wrongdoing, your sin. I modelled it for you. The most amazing love I can demonstrate is to die for you. To show you that true freedom only comes when you deny yourself like I have done. When you forgive others like I have done. But the most wonderful thing is I can help you do that. Love me first, then accept my forgiveness, then forgive others. That is the deal. That is the pattern. Yet you'll never learn what it means to be truly free, to be free above the taunts, the taunts when they taunted him at the cross. Can you imagine? Jesus already whipped nails through his arms, through his feet, Hung on a cross, and even then, humankind dare to mock and taunt the scriptures say, a man that was so obvious in pain and torture. You can be free above the taunts of others through the act of forgiveness, free above the pain you endure, whether it is emotional or social, free above the doubts, free above the burdens, free. From the stuntedness that comes from unforgiveness and bitterness, you can be free. But you need to make a choice. You need to make a choice here, this very special day today. Will you love him? Will you accept the love that was exemplified on Calvary? Will you accept his forgiveness for your sins? Will you forgive others? It can be done. It was done. The Lord has made a way through the cross and he wants you to be set free. It can be done because we have a love that understands. We have a love more than just this amazing love, more than this love that forgives. Jesus wanted to go even further. He wanted to demonstrate that he understands us. He understands our pain. He understands our suffering. He understands all that we are going through. I have a friend who is happy for her story to be told. She journaled, she, her, she journaled her feelings through her life, from her father to her husband to her mother. She believed a lie. She believed she was unlovable and unacceptable. She has finally reclaimed the truth that she's not like this, that she was not created like this. She knows her saviour and she knows that he understands her feelings, and she writes, "'Truth, I don't deserve God's love, but neither does anyone. "'Yet God chooses to love me the same as he loves everyone. "'It's not based on my performance, praise God. "'I could never be good enough for anyone else "'to be loved by God, by myself. "'No one can. "'Yet God loves us, and he wants us to be with him.'" I just want to be with people and be loved too and to love them back, to be accepted and needed and to be able to give and receive and relax and to be in a real relationship both ways. I need to start with you, God. I'm not a scapegoat to be sent into the desert to die. Jesus died for me too. We're told in Matthew 26, 46, at about three o'clock, three hours after Jesus had hung on the cross, Eli, Eli, Lemma, Sabathani, My God, my God, why have you been why have you forsaken me? To be the light of the world and to not be only rejected but reviled, spitted on, crucified, to offer salvation to men who are perishing, and in return to be crowned with thorns and hung between two thieves? to be the son of God and to give himself completely to his purposes and then to find those purposes seeming to miscarry, to hang in the darkness between heaven and earth and in, a bl- and in blinding agony of pain, to seem to belong to neither, to feel the impact of sin and to look into the bottomless pit, to be sinking towards death and to feel no support from the everlasting arms, All this we glimpse of the Saviour's agony. All this we sense in the hollow and awful tones. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And those that are gathered around the cross, those of us in this room, can sometimes cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why am I in this desert Why am I in this loneliness? Oh, why? I don't understand. But I keep thinking about my friend's journal. I feel abandoned. I've lived a lie, she says. And I keep thinking about the parents of the little girl that was recorded in the Border Mail this week who was born with butterfly skin. And every time she moves or her mum picks her up, she, she peels and she blisters, or the friend who has been patiently waiting for years for a husband, or the lonely man in the nursing home, or the AIDS orphans in Africa, or the cancer ward at the Murray Valley Hospital. I keep thinking of all the people who cast despairing eyes towards the dark heavens and cry, why? And then I imagine him. I imagine him listening. I picture his eyes misting. And a pierced hand brushing away a tear. And although he may offer no answer, although he may solve no dilemma, although the question may freeze painfully in mid-air, he, was once, he who was once alone understands. Why was it that our precious Lord was afflicted and deserted by God? There's only one answer amazing love God chose himself to suffer rather than us to be deserted rather than us Hebrews 4:13 to 16 says we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our sufferings but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet was without sin Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The answer to the question why is that God's love understands. We have a God like no other. He understands how we feel. He identifies with our pain, our loneliness, our isolation, our hurt. Whatever you are going through right now, I want you to know today, God understands. Maybe you feel forsaken. Maybe you feel abandoned. Maybe you know people who feel that way. What response do you feel you need to make now as a result of understanding that one of the purposes of the cross is to understand that God, through his amazing love to you, knows what it means to feel abandoned, lost and forsaken. Remember, he understands. Do you understand the significance of having a God who chooses to understand your pain Your separation, he is not a distant God. There is a decision you need to make today. You may already know him. He's calling you to know him even more and to share your deepest needs with him. You may not know him. He's calling you here today to say, I want you in my life. I understand you. I've forgiven you. I've demonstrated this most amazing love at the cross, at Calvary, because you know what? Finally, finally, it is a final love. Jesus demonstrates his love to us, that it is a finished love, it is a complete love. He says, it is a love that requires nothing more In verse 43, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And in John 19, 30, he says, it is finished. So we come to the final point of the passion. It is the most wonderful of all. We bow before our Lord on the cross because in his life and in his death, he completes us. He completes us. It is finished it is all finished. The answer that we had at the beginning is God truly love? Is his character truly love? We can definitively answer that by yes, it is truly love through his amazing love, through his forgiving love, through his forsaken love, through his finished love. It completes John's summation that God is truly love through the ages. One thought has troubled humanity the thought of God's remoteness, of the divine and the human being irreconcilable, of a distance between God and man that was impossible to span. Michelangelo's picture, can we go back to that? Of a hand reaching up and of a hand reaching down Uh, becomes credible. We'll just go back to that picture, please, Karen. The cross planted on the earth reaches up into the heavenlies. In one tremendous gesture of amazing love, Jesus unites God and man. The love that speaks from the cross is a finished love. So what is finished? All our striving, it's paid in full. We are amazingly loved. We are amazingly forgiven. We are amazingly understood. Finally, Romans 8, 35 to 39 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no, a definitive no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. And we are going to hear on Sunday morning about the victory of this day, the victory that is in Jesus Christ. Don't miss Sunday morning because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither angel nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's amazing. It's amazing love. It's beyond comprehension. Today, today, I need you to make a decision. Don't leave here today without deciding that this love, which was so amazing, was born at such an incredible cost that if you know him, you are determined you are going to live for him more deeply, love him more deeply, love others more deeply. Today, as a result of today, if you don't know him, you must make a decision. You cannot walk away. This is your moment. You cannot walk away from this cross, this amazing love, without saying, Jesus, I accept you into my life. You have demonstrated your love definitively. I love you. I receive your forgiveness for me. Today, don't walk away from his amazing love.